I think before I kind of speak here, I uh, need to kind of inform you about some, uh, it's kind of what I do to um, get started. The first piece is how to listen, uh, which is a huge uh, kind of task. And really, it's quite simple. Uh, if you could keep 80% of your attention in your body, and uh, 20% you can hear what I'm saying. Uh, it's interesting that in the listening, that, uh, you know, I'm aware that you're probably, um, what happens? Let's see, now you're sitting here, and um, you hear one thing I say, and then your kind of knee hurts, and so your attention goes there, and then you start thinking about what I said, which made you think about something else that, you know, some story, you know, and, and, and so we're always, this is always a revolving, changing place. But if we can stay in the body, there's a sense of actually uh, a kind of attention uh, that's very helpful. So, 80%. Also, I'd like to acknowledge uh, also this piece about uh, the mystery. This, uh, these possibilities that we don't know very much uh, as uh, human beings. Um, and we live in a world that, um, of all the creatures on this planet, uh, we're probably the most um, out of our uh, fear and, and needs, is we are control freaks. And so we basically box ourselves in. And as, as I was, went out to ring the bell out there, I, it was very cute. There was a, a little deer over here that was, uh, I knew he, wanted, he probably wanted to go away, but the grass was just too good, you know, that uh, uh, part of us <laughs> that just wants to <laughs> cling, even though our nature is telling us we better get out of there. <laughs> So a couple things just uh, for the weaving of today. Uh, one of them is simply uh, about these uh, really separate practices that are very similar. And what underlies all this is, um, I like this kind of statement, um, <laughs> self-constructed, self-imposed suffering. So the Buddha talks about two kinds of suffering. There is suffering that leads to more suffering, and there is suffering that leads towards peace and happiness. And really what we're doing here is, uh, I'm sure you've noticed, those of you who have sat a lot, or those of you who first time sitting, um, it's not very comfortable. You know, it's actually uh, because suddenly we have to listen to the body. Uh, what's the first thing that happens? Oh, God, you know, um, my knees hurt, my back hurts, uh, I, I didn't really notice, you know, this tension that was there. And suddenly there's this, so it's like shining a spotlight on um, the uh, truth of our 
physical, just simply our physical condition. And generally what we do is, uh, you know, we're kind of like little busy freaks. You know, we run around, whenever something is discomfort, we turn and find something else to do. We get busy, we, you know, I mean, it's just constant. We're constantly, actually, you want the truth. We're puppets on strings of our past conditioning, uh, which are really uh, held by a past idea of sensual pleasure. Right? What brings us pleasure? So um, that's the one side. And the other side is then we use all of our conditioning or our control mechanisms to what we perceive to be discomfort uh, uh, away from us. So we're on one side, we're grabbing, and the other side, we're pushing away. That's what we do. And that's kind of, and we all have different kinds of conditioning, but that's the bottom line here. And uh, the Buddha simply said that, you know, his, the first noble truth was simply that uh, there is suffering. And the cause of this suffering is, is quite simple. It's our wanting things to be different than they are. So there is a kind of this constant craving. Uh, there's a word in, in Pali, it's called tana, which is uh, the ocean of craving, it's translated. You know, it's just constant, constantly uh, trying to uh, control and either keep what's pleasant or push away what's unpleasant. And so we've set up this whole uh, dynamic that we consider to be true. And that dynamic uh, is that um, if we get enough pleasant sensations, we'll be happy. And if we get too many unpleasant sensations, we will be unhappy. And in the Buddhist practice, it simply states that the Buddha, when he sat under the bow tree and uh, really investigated, deeply investigated uh, his own nature, is he found that was not true. You know, that was a delusion. And that because of the delusion, we suffer. So that's kind of the second one, is this thing about craving. What he experienced was something that was not foreign to us, but is actually our birthright, and actually underlies all the conditioning. If you take all the strings off the puppet, the puppet is free. He was always, or she was always free. And so, uh, this is self-constructed uh, through our own doing. And only through our own undoing can we become free. And so we 
as human beings, because of this delusion, this kind of conditioning, we have to then take on some kind of um, um, well, I'll use the word because it's a good word, practices or disciplines that uh, make us confront the truth about pleasantness and unpleasantness. And so this is where uh, actually these practices are called purification practices. They purify our view. Now, in the Native uh, American tradition, uh, there's a series of uh, self-constructed, um, self-imposed uh, practices that deal with uh, a lot of physical suffering. Uh, it seems kind of odd to us in some ways. That uh, first of all, you go into the sweat lodge, which is kind of like the mother womb, and uh, you put all these stones and you heat it up until you're uncomfortable. <laughs> it seems kind of odd until you're really uncomfortable. And somehow it breaks down some of the conditioning. Okay? You sit and you shut up on a cushion and you're asked, okay, to feel your body and don't move. And it really can get really uncomfortable. <coughs> and um, you get to look at your conditioning. Yeah. Uh, so they're similar in that way. The Native American tradition goes on, of course, the, the sweat lodge is, is kind of one level of it. Um, and then there's, of course, the vision quest, you know, which is uh, four days and four nights without water or food. Um, there's also um, the sun dance, uh, which is where another four day uh, practice because they deal very much in kind of the earth mathematics and where uh, like Fred who won't say us, but uh, he, What he did for he, he's called a lifer and so actually several times a year they take and they will slice into uh, above the breast and also in the back and they put wooden pegs in and then they tie themselves to a willow tree and they dance for four days and four nights without water. Uh, and sometimes, I know they went up to one in Reading a couple years ago where it was like 120 degrees in the summer, you know, and danced. Uh, that is a kind of suffering. But what is the intention behind it? Uh, it is about waking up. Uh, it is suffering that leads towards freedom. It's not suffering that leads to more suffering. And it's really what the whole spiritual path is about here, is that we take on practices that are there um, to, instead of turning away from ourselves, is turn towards ourselves and deal with some of the um, truth of being human beings and creatures that uh, are 
are part of nature. And nature tells you some very simple things if you look around. You know, in the springtime, where the seed kind of bursts and there is this young plant that comes up, and it's there, and in the summertime, at some point, it flowers, has its fruit, and then uh, it goes to seed, and then it gets old and it dies. That's just nature. That's just the truth. So it is with us, even though we probably have very little awareness of it, uh, simply because we don't want to. But spiritual practice is saying, okay, let's look at nature, let's look at truth. And then let's start seeing, if we reflect that, what's true about who and how we are, and what we do and how we act. You know, do we act out of a place of fearfulness and stinginess and anger and control, or do we act out of a place of love and a willingness to share and uh, be uh, uh, kind of fearless uh, uh, in a world controlled by fear? Uh, quite courageous. Um, and those are kind of what we do. Now, I'll describe to you a little bit about what the Buddha experienced, since that's what I know best. And Fred will talk a little about his tradition. Is this really simple? It's kind of like a pendulum that swings back and forth. And up on this pendulum on this side, we have, we'll put a plus over here and we'll put 10 up there, and we'll call it pleasant, okay? Big charge, you know, wow, that's big time, a plus 10 on the, on the scale here. And then the pendulum swings down, it swings the other side, and you got a big minus sign, you got 10 over there, and that's unpleasant, wow, that is really uncomfortable, that's really painful, okay? So, pleasant, unpleasant. This pendulum is constantly swinging back and forth. And we get hooked to the charges. You know, when it's up, uh, we're looking for, you know, 10 on the pleasure scale, and we're trying to get rid of as, as whatever, whatever on the scale on the minus side. And so we're in this battle, constantly, of trying to hold these things. And in, in, so we can control this pendulum, which has, actually has no control, and just swings back and forth. And has, it has prior conditioning, prior karma, but that's uh, really not our concern. Uh, we can't really do anything about that now. <laughs> um, because we have charges, on these. Uh, we don't notice what's in, in the center. And so it really is in this present moment. We just don't notice it. And so what spiritual practice is all about, and what the Buddha experienced was there was a very subtle and sublime place in the center of your experience, right now, that is not dependent on whether the moment is pleasant or unpleasant. It doesn't matter where on the pendulum that is. You may have, your, your body may be uncomfortable, 
So you could say it's unpleasant, or it could be pleasant. But what is being said is in the center there is a place, and I'm talking about right here, that is actually a place of peace. But it has no charge. It has no charge. So it's very subtle. <coughs> and we need to... Um, We need to actually change our environment. And it's what um, sweat lodges or vision quests or coming to meditation retreats is all about. <clears throat> so we change the environment and uh, we uh, focus uh, in a way that sometimes in, in the native tradition, they actually kind of up the, up the unpleasant side. So that, and somewhat in the Buddhist as well, so that um, uh, your attention, uh, it's kind of like a, my mind sometimes, I think we're like a bunch, of, in nature we're like mule heads, you know, and sometimes you got to take a two by four up the side of head and smack them once. <laughs> so, excuse me, I don't know why that comes to my mind, but, <laughs> but you just got to smack us, you know, to get our attention so that we can notice what's true and what's going on. And how most of that happens, how does it get your attention? I'm sorry to say is, you know, sometimes it's through loss, somebody's a divorce or a separation or through, you know, somebody has a car accident or their mother or their father gets ill or dies or a friend uh, is in, in pain or uh, uh, is harmed in some way. You know? And then suddenly we take notice. You know? Sorry to say, but that's how kind of slow we are. And yet, these are the uh, kind of the things that bring us to uh, a spiritual practice. Then, then changes our focus from the charges, which we're conditioned to, to looking for this subtle uh, place in the center of your experience that says something so profound. And, you know, this is, to me, this is kind of the mystery, or this is uh, actually mystical, is it says that you're enough just the way you are. And this is enough. This moment is enough. A very, very powerful, yet so simple insight. And yet, what it takes for us to actually notice that is a tremendous amount of um, uh, collective and individual effort. And then, uh, once we uh, kind of get this, 
then it's our willingness then to kind of choose a path uh, that uh, we begin changing our focus from the charges of pleasantness and the avoidance of unpleasantness uh, towards uh, this willingness to kind of um, touch ourselves and it's really to open our hearts uh, to ourselves and then to start really carefully and very um, fearlessly looking at the world around us and finding a way to act in a way that um, Well, it's quite simple. Uh, that is uh, not part of a problem, but actually part of a solution uh, to the human condition. <coughs> no. And we all have different ways of doing that. But we all have to take this journey somehow of, um, of, of in a sense, reteaching ourselves. And that's simply what the spiritual path is. No. Uh, it takes a kind of uh, uh, moral strength. Uh, it takes a, um, a commitment, a strong commitment uh, to inquiry uh, of not just taking things for their face value, but really looking into them and asking the right questions of, of you know, uh, who am I? And then the courage to act. You know, it's very scary because it, it it's against, the Buddha always said that this was going upstream against the flow of the culture. So there's a quote I'd like to end here with, which is kind of, from Sri Nisargadath, who is a, uh, he was a, um, a very uh, kind of humble, simple man who, he was a, a, a bidiwali in Bombay. It means he rolled these little, he'd take a leaf and they put little tobacco in and roll them up and then they made little bundles and they sold them as like cigarettes in, in, in India. And he was a bidiwala and had a bunch of kids and, and was very much an enlightened man. And he had this great line that um, uh, I'm always uh, reflecting on. And it simply goes that wisdom tells me I'm nothing. Okay? Wisdom tells me I'm nothing. Love tells me I'm everything. And my life flows between these two. You know, so it's somehow holding this paradox. And... Um, and I'll let you reflect on that. This is actually a very deep piece. No. So, um, so embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing these uh, this practice 
where and, and it comes out of Tibetan practice. I spent three years with the Tibetans, and and, um, and what it is, it, it's a chid practice, and basically what it is, it's sort of like uh, in Gestalt and therapy, where you have seat, and what what it is 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 take a zafu and you put it in front of you, one of these little pillows. And there's a practice in, in Tibetan Buddhism where you um, sit and you're yourself. And then you switch seats and you become a deity. And then you answer questions to yourself back and forth, you know, like, you know. And what it is, is really, it's, it's kind of like that deeper part of yourself. You already know the answer, you know. And so it's this ability to ask that question of yourself. So I modified it uh, this last year. Is I decided I would start speaking uh, to my death. And you know, Don Juan uh, in Carlos Castaneda always talks about keeping death over your left shoulder. And so I thought about that. Well, okay. So why not bring him into the chit practice and uh, ask what is important? You know, what's important? Uh, in my life. And Stephen Levine, actually Noah was just running around his son and stuff here, um, who teaches here, and, and uh, uh, who wrote this, this book, One Year to Live. And I know there's groups and stuff out about this. And so this is kind of my version of that. And so uh, it's been remarkable. I realized, things I realized was how fearful I was and how stingy I was and how um, you know, uh, well, how wrapped up I was in uh, little things that weren't so really important. You know, I just made them important. And uh, what became important to me were my kids. And so, yeah, it was great. I'll just tell you the result of the practice here. I've decided to take them to Thailand, and uh, I have a son who's 25 and his girlfriend, and my daughter who's 17 and a half and take them uh, first to Thailand for, and then go to Nepal trekking. And we're just going to go, <laughs> to go, just take off and do something. And, and they want to do it, which is really, uh, I think that's, that's pretty remarkable. My daughter first, now I want to stay and snowboard. <laughs> you know. Uh, so I, I just put this out because I think it's really wonderful, is ask some questions. You know, and maybe it's about your parents, maybe it's about friends, uh, maybe it's about what, you, what you're doing in your work or whatever in your life. Uh, and, and it's scary because it's saying uh, what you put off you should do today, you know, and see how you can, uh, I mean, there has to be a practical part of that, but, but uh, to ask those questions and start doing it now. You know, we have this whole kind of weird culture here where there's this thing, what's it called? Oh, retirement. Oh, right. And so people, it, well, but there's this whole psychology that someday. Uh, and I guess this practice is asking, well, not about someday. It's about take the risk. Do what it, you need to do now. You know, and it may kind of defy some conventions, but what the hell, you know. You don't have very long anyway. You don't even know how long. You know, it's so funny. It's like, uh, um, 
especially driving around in these tin cans, you know, at 70 miles an hour or whatever. <laughs> right? Burning up old dinosaurs. <laughs> One big ba-boom. You know. I remember Gary Snyder, he, this talk I heard him give about the world, and he um, described it as um, what through the centuries, if it was every um, was it every ten years or every fifty years, uh, taking a, just one shot of the world from the from like outside the kind of uh, farther atmosphere there, and suddenly, uh, what happens in this last century? is, you know, suddenly there are all these airplanes going around. So 10 years of pictures, the airplane, cars moving, and kind of these cities growing, and things suddenly, it's a big pa-boom explosion. <laughs> That's what it looks like, you know, uh, the impact of that. Kind of like a, kind of like we're flying on this plane, and oh, a terrible image, and the rivets are popping out. <laughs> you know. So um, I think it would be good to stand up for a minute here. And uh, I told you, Indian time here, so we're just going to. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.